welcome to the Nerd Party. Maximum warp. Punch it. Punch it! Punch it, Bishop! Punch it. Punch that shit! Let's punch it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Punch It, episode 72. My name is Charlene Schmidt, and with me, as always, is... Tristan Rodell. Tristan, I am so excited for what we're about to do today. And do you know why? I don't know why, but I really hope that you tell me. (laughs) Okay, well, I'm about to. What we're doing is we are doing a show entirely based off of listener suggestions. A couple weeks ago, I put out a call on my Twitter account and I said, Punch it, listeners. I need your help. We want your best what ifs for Enterprise. And you know what? Like our listeners always do. I put out the call. They answered. We got a lot of really good suggestions. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to tackle one as kind of the main course, our very favorite of them all. And then we're going to wrap things up and do a lightning round, which we've never really done before. We're going to try and do like little mini dissections of several other listener suggestions. We're going to call you out by name, have a little fun with it, and that's going to be our show. This is going to be a lot of fun. And when we get to the lightning round, we may expound upon these further. Like we, we yes. might hear an idea and we're just like, you know what? That would make a great episode. So let's just go ahead and do that at another time. Right, right. Yeah, this is kind of the trial round. Let's feel out the potential. So what is our main topic today, Shar? Well, our main topic comes from Paul Andrew Burnett on Twitter. And his idea was, what if there was a serious threat to Denobula? Knowing that Denobulans didn't appear in the future Trek stories we'd seen would allow for true drama with risks because a possibility that they might be killed off would exist. That made a lot of sense to me, and I think it rang a a bell for you, and we thought, ooh, good what if. I really, really like this one because pretty much anything involving Denobula... I'm all on board. Any any kind of little tidbit of knowledge that <laughs> I can too. get, I'm I'm all about it. So whether we make this drama, whether whether we make it straight interesting, or however we want to tackle this, I'm on board with because even though we got some great flocks episodes in Star Trek Enterprise, I feel like we could have always gotten more because I know it's not fair to compare, but we know so much about the Vulcan homeworld. We know so much about the Klingon homeworld. Even Ferenginar, you know, we yeah. know more about the culture and everything like that. So because the show was cut short and because there was only one of these characters of this race in the series as a series regular, we didn't get that many details. We didn't get as much as most people would have liked. And before we get into the story of what we could develop, what are some of your favorite things about Denobulans, Denobula, or even flocks in general? I think one of my favorite things that helped me fall in love with the character of Phlox and maybe Denobulans in general is that CGI exaggerated smile. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I adore that. And we've talked before on the show about the polyamorous culture of Denobulans. They have multiple husbands and wives. Family situations are somewhat complicated. That's intriguing to me. Also, Phlox in general is a really interesting guy. He has how many degrees and how many fields? I mean, this guy is a very well-educated, very experienced doctor. I mean, 
He's he's not just a doctor. He's a Renaissance man doctor. He knows mm-hmm. all the doctor things. It's really cool. And I know it's it's a trope to be basically a superhero in Star Trek, especially post-2009, where everybody is just a, a literal and actual genius in their field. Right. Everybody has to be awesome all the time. Yeah, exactly. Like if you're a xenobiologist, you're an expert in xenobiology. Not only are you an expert in xenobiology, you're the best in xenobiology. You've written right. 15 volumes on it. People come to your symposiums and you're serving on a starship. You know, like that kind of thing. Like it's... yeah. It gets kind of crazy. Now, Fox did get a little crazy. You're just like, oh, yeah, I can do this. I got psychology. And, you know, I can be a dentist, too. You know, like, and it's just when we had the character of the doctor from Star Trek Voyager, the holographic doctor, it was a little bit more believable because he's just like, oh, I want to download that in my program. Or just like, I just learned how to be a dentist because I read that volume and now I'm an expert. And he can be programmed. And it's hard when it's a non-technical life form. But because we know so little about the Denobulans... We don't know how they learn. We know that they live a very long time. We don't know how long. True. All we know is that they live a very long time. So it lends itself to more believability that like in that long time, it's not like he just went, did his grad work for four or six years. He could have done his grad work for 50 years. We don't know. <laughs> and maybe he did. Yeah, that's one thing we never really explored was, are all Denobulans that educated? Is it just kind of the norm there to study multiple things to know as much as you can know and maybe they have a a brain structure or a learning style that really helps them take in a lot of information and learn a lot of things i do like that about teaching and learning in the 24th century or here the 22nd century because i love the ability that we can teach better it's not like we're maxed out today on what we need to know. Now, obviously, we're always learning more. We're always advancing as a culture when it comes to technology and refining methods and mechanical engineering and things like that. But one thing that's not really talked about too terribly much is teaching and learning styles. I mean, across science fiction, I feel like we get a lot of it in Star Trek. And I remember in season one, I think I've referenced this before, season one of The Next Generation, we see a kid running around, really young, super young kid. And the dad runs by and says, like, no, you can't skip out on trigonometry class or, or something to that right. effect. And he's like, yeah. I don't want to do it. And so we've learned a way to teach trigonometry or whatever advanced math it was. Might have been calculus. I'm not quite sure. We learned how to teach this to young minds. And so it's just proof that the human mind can absorb more. I mean, proof within this fictional realm, obviously. <laughs> right, right, right. I know what you mean. It shows us that we can learn more, we can advance, not just in technology, but in ourselves, and that there isn't a cap to what we can learn and how fast we can learn it. And then we can see that from the denomulans. Now, I'm totally going off on a tangent here, and I apologize, <laughs> but it's just that's the thing. Is like That's what's so fascinating about this denobulans is that we didn't get that much. Now, for me, probably one of my favorite things, and I have never been silent about this, is their meeting rituals, their love rituals, how they greet each other like just as simple as how they greet each other, like two Denobulans, lovers, wives and husbands, whatever, they greet each other by getting super close and sniffing each other. And right, like- right. Yeah. You, you know, I think one thing about Denobulans just in general is the fact that they have little rituals like that that really show to us, the audience, that they are alien. Mm-hmm. Just different enough to make us maybe take a step back and, oh, isn't that interesting? It really is, really is cool. And It's just they took one aspect and went against a negative stereotype when it comes to being polyamorous. Most of the Denobulans, 
they say are polyamorous. But the thing is, they don't like being touched by someone they're not intimate with. Right. And so there's this pejorative stereotype of people who are polyamorous, who are just like nymphomaniacs, who are sex fiends, and they're just <laughs> right. like, they just go off and go crazy, which is not true. No. And it goes against that stereotype. It's just like, oh, they like to be around people, but they don't like to be touched. That's cool. Yeah. Kind of interesting. It's not like they're going out and just touching everybody and they, they'll have sex with anything. No. No. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't work that way. No, that's that's a very cool distinction to make. Like, that's the thing about Denobulan culture. For as much as we know, there's so much more that we could have learned and developed and known more of. This was really great ground for developing an alien culture, and they dropped the ball. Maybe because of the shortened series lifespan, but maybe not, too, because they were thinking about going into the Romulan War and stuff like that. So... This is just, this feels like such a missed opportunity. Now, because we have not seen Denobulans outside of Enterprise, that does lend itself to our listeners' idea that something might have maybe happened to Denobulans. Something really horrible that wiped out possibly the entire race. I think this has not just a story potential, but a possible season-long or longer arc that you could have put in throughout Enterprise. Yeah, I, th I think that's definitely possible. I think we could make it a season-long arc. I feel like it would be... I'm not saying no to it, but I feel like that might be hard to do a season-long arc because if you think about it from a storytelling perspective, say we got a season five uh -huh. you know, of, of Enterprise and it wasn't the Romulan War like everyone talked about. Say, say it focused on Denobula. I feel like it might be... The, the way that the, uh, of course, we can do whatever the hell we want, but after getting over season three, which was a season long arc about the potential destruction of Earth, uh -huh. it might be a little exhausting for the audience if we fast forward to season five and it's just like, oh, it's about the potential destruction of Denobula or the destruction of Denobula. Here's what I'm thinking. I have an idea. If we go for a season-long arc, I mean, it starts probably with one episode that really focuses heavily on flocks, Denobula, and whatever is going on. I'm thinking it's a disease, a plague, something that'll wipe out the whole population. I don't think it's at center stage nearly as much as the Zindi arc was in season three. I think it's more of a slow burn. It's the B plot in a lot of other stories, but we keep finding out how things are going. So say our introduction to this is the Phlox heavy episode. He finds out that a lot of people on Denobula are not feeling well, including maybe his wife, one of his wives. And there's a little, it's not much of a cause for concern at first, but then when suddenly a whole bunch of other people start having the same symptoms, we need to start looking into this. And eventually it's becoming this massive disease. Maybe Denobula gets quarantined. And then maybe then it becomes like kind of like a race for the cure here because Phlox, he is the only Denobulan out there in space, right? At that point. I think of that region of space, yeah. Okay, so maybe, if anything, he's one of the very few Denobulans not on Denobula, and he feels it is his responsibility as a physician with the clock ticking to help find a cure. And I'm actually, I'm stealing a little bit of this from Babylon 5, where <sighs> they're not going to find the cure in time. He is going to end up being one of the last of his species. There's going to be a massive die-off on Denobula, and eventually, that's it. That's the end of the race. It just, it kills them all. With, okay, see, the idea that I had in my head thinking about this was way less dramatic. 
Okay, do tell. <laughs> I'll just tell you where I was coming from. So, I mean, the real world reason as to why we haven't seen De Noblians again is because they weren't invented until Enterprise. And even though Enterprise was a prequel and takes place before TOS, TNG, DS9, and Voyager, it didn't come into Paramount's brain or <laughs> CBS's brain until after they were already aired. And maybe we'll see them in Discovery. That would be cool. I would love to be able to see them in Discovery. That would be great if they do that, because the assumption has always just been, oh, they're out there. But mm -hmm. yeah, they just never got featured. The thing with what I was thinking about was we're in Enterprise, if they got a season five, they're living in a post-Zindi war world. It's post-war. We saw a little bit of that fallout in season four, where we started seeing people on Earth be starting to become isolationists. Yeah. It's just like, this is your fault for broadcasting our, our location out into the cosmos, for treading through space, trekking through space uh, when you have no business. And you had people who were even like the, the second to last episode, some people say the last episode, was all about <laughs> that, about becoming isolationists and being human first and everything like that. I would love to see where in Denobula, it's already super crowded and overpacked. And I would love to see an arc, whether that's three episodes or a season, I, it doesn't really matter to me, an arc where we kind of mix some ideas of Denoblins wanting to become or even more isolationist than they are now because they saw what happened to the humans in the Zindi War. Let's say the government's super freaked out by it. And also, I kind of want to mix in a little bit of a Praxis situation from Star Trek VI The Undiscovered Country where... In the undiscovered country, their Praxis, the Klingon moon, exploded, and then they only had the Klingon homeworld only have fifty years of of air left, which we conveniently forgot about in the TV show. And <laughs> they fixed it. <laughs> yeah, they uh, they turned on the air conditioning. <laughs> but I'm not saying that a moon has to explode. But if they're so overly populated, I would love to see Denobula make it look like Coruscant in Star Wars, where it's just one big mega city, where every inch of the planet is covered in skyscrapers, just like skyscrapers that go almost to the stratosphere, where Denobula is just overrun with Denobulans. And people are saying, like, we need to keep Denobula for Denobulans and only for Denobulans. And other people are saying, no, we need to branch out. We need to expand. We need to break our own system, our own relationships, and, and, and move on. And then other people say, well, look what happened over at the Zindi, you know, with the Zindi and the humans. I mean, there's far less of them than they are of us. And they almost got wiped out. And, you know, like, what are we going to do? We don't even have a huge fighting force, blah, blah, blah. And I would love to see Flock speak on humans' behalf and on Denobula's behalf saying, look at what I have done. I've been out with the humans. I've seen the stars. I've branched out. I've learned all of these things. And we, we should branch out to increase the survival of our race by colonizing other planets and other systems, diversifying our gene pool. And so he, he, like, look at me, I am the example. You know, look how successful things have been. I've helped save worlds and save planets and, and races and everything like that. Just imagine what the rest of us could do. And I would love to see him fail. Oh, interesting, because he's perpetuating the Starfleet message mm -hmm. of we can work together, we're better off working together, and look at us. We've gotten along on this ship this whole time. We've had our bumps and our bruises, but you know what? We've made it work. And so can Denobulans if we go out to the stars. Because I love the idea that the Denobulan homeworld is so overrun with people. Maybe they don't have room for any more people be mm -hmm. just because there's 
just such a explosion of all these families reproducing constantly. They, yeah, maybe they don't have much other choice. Maybe they have to go to another star system, another planet, what have you. Maybe Flox is one saying, maybe we should join the, this federation or, or join an alliance with, uh, like it hasn't been made yet, or maybe we fast forward to when it is made. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But like he's talking to his people saying, like, let's join an alliance with humans. Let's make it official. Let's start a federation. Like maybe maybe that's what gave Archer the idea for a federation. Oh, I love it. Yeah, maybe that's that very first baby step where Earth and Denobula join forces as a unifying force working together to kind of help each other solve their mutual problems. And then maybe just like there's humans who don't really want anything to do with aliens, there's Denobulans who say, look at these idiot humans. We don't want to work with them. They don't yeah. care about us. They they want to kill us. Yeah, I would love to see Archer, because we saw it in season three, we saw it in season four, where Archer is toying around with the idea of an alliance, an interspecial alliance, that was the beginning as a federation. And we know that the Tellarites, the Andorians, and the Vulcans and the humans were all the founding members of the federation. What if originally Archer wanted the Denobulans to be that fifth founding member, and it just didn't work out? That's where it just utterly failed, and he couldn't get back. And so they went isolationists even more and they didn't join the federation even years later they didn't join starfleet or the federation or anything like that and that's why we don't really see them that much that's Mm. again we spent a lot of time on my idea but that's just my idea (laughs) though that's kind of a cool thing to explore even though it's a dirty old shame that maybe denobulans are really isolating themselves even further now is that the catastrophe going back to our listener's suggestion is that the catastrophe that Denobula faces is that ultimately the only reason why we don't see Denobulans in TNG and thereafter. Well, I feel like um, maybe we could combine our ideas where I'm looking at it from big picture, you're looking at it from a symptom, Where, and I'm not saying one is better than the other, but what if a huge symptom of overpopulation and overcrowding and limited resources and everything like that is disease is destruction is territory wars and everything like that where maybe there there is something that is running rampant through the planet that is harming them and like flock says he's like the such and such virus is just a small example of the catastrophe that could befall denobula if we don't change our ways or what if humans inadvertently bring disease to denobula and it's just spreads like wildfire before it can even be caught I would hate for that to happen. Well, that would be horrible. And then maybe, I mean, that gives flocks a lot of feelings to deal with, a lot of guilt, a lot of uncertainty. Okay, here's the thing, though, is that the Enterprise got recalled. Their mission was canceled because they thought that they burned the atmosphere and killed... I don't know if it was 100,000 people or a million or might have even been way less than that. And their mission was canceled. It was like, no more. We're too young to do this. If the Enterprise and Archer was the reason why trillions died on one planet, I think that would be pretty big footnote in history. You're right. That's a little too much because then there'd be a really good reason to eradicate humans entirely or at least go to war with them and kill as many as possible. But then also no federation. No federation is happening after that. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. You're you're thinking too big, but you're thinking I like it. (laughs) Yeah. It's a little too epic. Okay. So we can't go there. That's fine. 
So we've got a couple of different angles here. We've got the Black Plague, just wiping them out. Mm-hmm. And then we have isolationism and potential maybe to reconnect with them at some point. Just they don't want to talk back. Yeah, I kind of feel like we made the structure of something or like this. I mean, we don't have the finer points, but this is the structure that we made of this is why there's overpopulation. There's disease that's coming about that's maybe started the conversation like the Zindi war and disease started the conversation where disease is just like, okay, we need to change our ways and we need to branch out. And maybe the best way to do that is to join some sort of allegiance with the humans, with the Terrans and maybe the Vulcans and the other side of it is isolationism, is tradition, and the Zindi war saying, like, listen, like, you know, humans branched out. Look what it got them. We can't afford to do that. Right. It's a little too dangerous. And yet the idea of staying on Denobula is ultimately what's going to hurt them the most. Things like disease running rampant and mm-hmm. stuff like that due to overpopulation. It's so much harder to control that way. Now, because this is Star Trek, I feel like a possible ending would be... If you made this three episodes or a season long or whatever it was, Phlox actually finds a a cure for the disease with the help of humans and other people. And like maybe the the Vulcans and Tellarites, maybe they all kind of like come together to help the disease. But at the same time, they do. And they think that this is their gateway into the Dunobulans joining their potential alliance. And they say, thank you very much for curing the disease. Screw you. We're still not going to join this alliance. Fox is saying like we may have cured the disease this disease but it's just going to happen again and it's only going to get crazier it's only going to get worse so it's not confirmed for us that they're wiped out but it is confirmed for us that they don't join the federation or whatever it's going to be called at that time so either they it's a potential of getting wiped out or not but either way they're not in the federation or starfleet and that's why we don't see them oh man that would really hurt flocks too having him say look this is going to happen again the vi- you know viruses mutate the situation's going to happen again isn't it great how we work together and help solve this problem don't you want to do more of that and they just say no yeah now what if if we wanted to add some drama to it one of the lead people one of the lead isolationists was one of his wives or one of his wives husbands oh a sympathizer mm-hmm Ooh, that that's going to make family dinners a little difficult to deal with. <laughs> okay, yeah, I mean, that, gosh, that relates a lot to the political climate of the day today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a lot of people would understand the difficulty of that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think yeah. I think we developed a, a good framework, a good, a good story of why Denobula potentially does not enter into the 23rd and 24th century. Yeah. Or at least our view of that. Yeah, makes uh, some good sense to me. All right, well, do you want to head into our lightning round now? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, because we've got some things to go through. Let's start playing out some scenarios. So Michael Marks on Twitter says, what if the first season had been set on Earth building the ship? First season of what? Of Enterprise, building the NX-01. So they're not venturing out into space in Broken Bow. They are still building the ship and probably still setting the stage trying to figure out what exactly are we going to do out there oh i i personally don't think a full season would be interesting because you know star trek enterprise especially enterprise was all about getting out there and the discovery and meeting new people new new life and new civilizations and everything like that i feel like maybe it would make a good tv movie 
kind of like with Battlestar Galactica, where we got a TV movie and then we got the show. Uh-huh. And the lead in. Yeah, the lead in. Like it was kind of like a prologue where maybe we go through the bureaucracy or the administration and maybe it covers a couple of years or something like that. And so we see it getting built. I think that would be a lot of fun, but a season long arc of just people in meetings talking about wouldn't it be cool if we were out there what would it be like <laughs> and uh you yeah, know yeah and- i do feel like it's too long too and also i think it's a massive tonal shift because i yeah. thought about this one for a little while trying to think would it work where if you did do a first season how would it work and i think it would be very political it would have a lot of talky drama Mm-hmm. It would probably maybe even feel a little bit like West Wing, where you've got all these people, you know, in their various positions. How is everything working and coming together to make this launch happen? Great. But then once you're out there and you're finally out there, it's another show. So in a yeah. way, it doesn't work. You know how I think it does work, though? Flashbacks. Go back to key points in the building of the ship prior to the launch. Go back and see what Archer's doing. Go see to Paul. We know that Hoshi's teaching, but show us some key points if they're relevant to a story. I think you could do that, but a whole season, too much, and also just really awkward in terms of the series as a whole. Yeah, I mean, and we did get some of that throughout the show where we started getting flashbacks to the Warp 5 program or the beginning of it or yeah. you know, different Warp programs and everything, like Chuck Yeager kind of style stuff. And, and it was a lot of fun, a lot of interesting. I think this is a great idea for a book yeah it's a great novel idea it's a great novel idea but i do not think it's a great season of television because you're right it'd be a different show all right yeah okay next one oh i hope i don't slaughter this name david galinsky what if archer dropped the ball during the pilot and lost command well Uh, that's a little early (laughs) damn uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, Archer has his moments where he looks like a fool, but wow, right out of the gate, it, the Vulcans are just going to say, look, mm-hmm. you are not ready for this. And then you know what's going to happen is Captain T'Pol is going to command the Enterprise and Archer is going to be her whipping boy. Man, I think the only way that that could work is if Bakula wasn't Archer. Mm, meaning? The only way I could see that work is if it was structured this way, where... You know how like there were times when Archer was trying to get that command. He was commuting against other people to get the command, to be the first captain of the Warp 5 program of the NX-01. Right. It was a fierce competition and he won. And I feel like the only way to make this idea work is if Archer was the first officer. He didn't win, but they gave him a consolation prize and said, you're going to be the first officer. Maybe he was the most qualified But for political reasons, they needed somebody else in the captain's chair. Maybe it was a Vulcan-appointed Starfleet officer that was in the captain's chair. And that captain screwed up so bad that they're like, you know what, Archer? You're right. You're You're the captain now. I kind of like it. And then what if Archer finds out that he was passed up for the chair originally because of political reasons? Because it wasn't on merit, it was all about what was happening behind the scenes. That might create some friction, even more, between those two. That's the thing, like, I would hate to start that way. I would hate to start a show that way. We're just like, oh, great, we're getting a captain where no one believed in him. You know, like, where he doesn't have the backing of Starfleet. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's not the best showing. 
tonally that would be harsh but like to go back to this person's original question like what if archer screwed up i just don't think from a storytelling standpoint that would work it would have to be the captain screwed up and archer the art the archer we know and love then rises to captaincy i agree because archer honestly he screws up enough as it is doing Mm -hmm. you know going through missteps because nobody else has done this before he has to be the one who makes these initial mistakes right but you can't have him slip on the banana peel going through the doorway and also everyone who is submitting these ideas and if we say we don't think this would work maybe if we alter it this way if you disagree with us if you're just like oh here is how i think it would work let us know contact us yeah tell us what you think you can go to facebook.com slash the nerd party or you can find us on twitter at join nerd party or you can email us at the nerdparty.com slash contacts like punch it from the drop down menu fill out the form it'll send us an email we want to know from you guys. And even if you're not the original poster of the question or of the idea, the what if idea, if you just have an idea of how you think it would work, let us know. And also, if you have any other what if ideas, let us know that too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We'll, ha- we'll be putting out, I'm sure, call outs again for more what ifs in the future anyway. But if you have one right off the bat, hey, yeah, we want to know it. And also, yeah, we are just two brains ourselves. If there's something that we're not considering, you need to let us know. <laughs> We'd be happy to entertain your idea. Okay, so how about this one from JD2088? What if the temporal Cold War story allowed for appearances from Kirk, Picard, Cisco, and Janeway, a storyline that crossed each series? This is one of those times when I feel like this would be a great comic book. Like this is, I think this is why comic books <laughs> were built. That's what I was thinking too, was this is comic book potential for these epic crossovers. Because budgetarily, for one thing, it's really hard to get everybody on board and on set and pay them mm-hmm. enough money to make it happen. I love the idea, though, to where we could have cameos from everybody somehow. It just logistically... I see kind of why they did not go there. And also when they did try to do a little bit of crossover potential, well, everybody kind of hated it in in the execution. So if you think they try to take that idea and make it good and we see the result of that, imagine what would happen if they get everybody involved and it crashes just as hard. We're going to hate that even more. I feel like this is one of those things that could get super crazy and be fun because it's just ridiculous. And (laughs) this would be one of those things where I think that we could definitely come back to and say, well, we're on board with the idea with it being like a comic or a web series or something like that, like an animated web series. I feel like we should come back to that and create an outline of why would they all need to get together and who would be Uh the center point? Would Archer be the center point? Would Janeway, would Picard, would Cisco, would Kirk, you know, who, who would get things moving and need everybody? Like, because if if it's Kirk and Picard, yeah, they have that enterprise link. Yeah. But there's no link to Cisco and Deep Space Nine. There's no link to Janeway and Voyager. There's no link to Archer right. and the NX-01. That's true. So what is that ultimate connection? But uh, I'm, I'm I'm also thinking of potential reactions because of time travel. Janeway just immediately puts her head down. Oh, yeah. no. Yeah. So this this is one of those ideas that I would love to come back to. Absolutely. Yeah, this could be a lot of fun. One of these days when we want to just absolutely go nuts, this is the story idea we could explore. <laughs> okay. Oh, this is something we've already kind of talked about. Chance Yeager says, what if the Vulcan High Command insisted on a Vulcan captain, enter Captain T'Pol with Archer as first officer, put the Vulcan human dynamic more front and center, and also give our second woman and first non-human captain 
Well, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We did, we did kind of talk about that. Yeah, if it had been Captain T'Pol, yeah, I think we would have had even a little more human Vulcan grittiness mm-hmm. between the two, a little more conflict because the Vulcans want to do things their way, the humans want to do things their way, and it's kind of a little bit of human ownership with this ship. It's them really trying to make their break and explore the unknown for the first time, and the Vulcans are saying, wait, 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 <laughs> even more than what we got on the show because they're in charge. I think if this went down this way, I feel like it would be remarkably similar to Discovery. I think you're right. It just has that feeling, you know? Like, it was just like we'd have the perspective of Archer because he's our entry point. So it'd be a first officer perspective. It'd be like what we thought we were going to get before the destruction of the Shinzu. I think you're right. Yeah, there's a lot of parallel there. Yeah. Now, granted, you know, the captain of the Shinzu wasn't Vulcan or an alien or anything like that, but just the perspective of the first officer with an interesting dynamic between captain and first officer. And maybe it would be a little bit more like Saru as the captain and Burnham as the first officer, that kind of thing. Uh Uh-huh. That grit just amped up a little more. Yeah, Yeah. I do think that would have ultimately been the relationship with Captain T'Pol and first officer Archer, for sure. So to give a quick answer, I think it would feel like Discovery. I think it would be interesting. It would be a very different show, but it would feel like Discovery to me. Yeah, yeah. In hindsight, of course. So here's one from Logwell. What if the Zindi avians did not go extinct, but were just lost from the rest of the Zindi species and the Enterprise played a role in reuniting them? This one, this is the first I've heard this. This is actually the first I've heard of any of these. That is a great, great storyline. Isn't it though? This could be like the Enterprise version of the lost city of Atlantis. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that, that would kind of be the feeling of this episode that we would make is that it's post-Indy War. Maybe this is the first time that they're, they're working on diplomatic relations where they're just like, okay, the war is over. How do we move forward? What do we do? What does that look like? Because we know from the time traveler that in the 29th century we see zindis working in starfleet side by side with humans and other people and so we know that they do come together they do find peace so maybe there's some sort of macguffin where they heard tell of the avians somebody somewhere found an artifact and maybe they didn't go extinct maybe a few people left you know like i don't know something like it's just yeah, yeah I, that's the direction I would want to go. And they went to the Enterprise for help for some for whatever reason. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah, this idea has a lot of potential. And in a very Starfleet way, too, where the Enterprise can play the central role in uh, diplomacy, reunification. It's also got a lot of exploration. It's got that mm-hmm. nice, like, kind of the hunt to try and find these people. All of that. Just good storytelling would make it happen. And it would be a lot of fun. I think it's surprising that we're getting so many Enterprise what-ifs in that one call that you made. Yeah, I got several, and there's even more that we haven't even gone through, but I think we ought to end on that one. End it on a really good high note and wrap this up because we're just about out of time for the week. But I want to thank everybody who answered the call, gave us a what-if idea. Even if we didn't get to yours, I still I love every one of those tweets because they were all good ideas worth exploring. So I apologize if we didn't get to you. And as we said at the top of the show, just because we didn't get to it, or even if we did just do a lightning round with it, it doesn't mean we're never going to talk about it again, because yeah. you guys are great and are giving us great stuff. And so you're feeding our creativity, and we're going to feed it right back to you in the future. Absolutely. 
as we said in, uh, in the middle of the show, you know how to get a hold of us. You know how to reach us. You can find me personally on Twitter at the Insane Robin. And you can find me at Oh the Profanity. So keep your what if suggestions coming because whatever you throw our way, we're going to punch it. Ready for warp, sir. Let's punch it. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.